You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, what caused 126,000 gallons of crude oil to wash up on the Orange County coast? Why wasn't the response faster? And who exactly is at fault? The California Report rounds up the many questions in the wake of the South State oil spill. After regional news and weather, Paul Emery and Gary Zimmerman talk economics. And in this week's Money Matters, Mark Cuniberti offers some sobering perspective on the $29 trillion national debt. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In response to the massive oil spill off the coast of Orange County, Governor Gavin Newsom has issued a state of emergency. This should allow state agencies to more effectively marshal their resources in the ongoing response to the spill. The Huntington Beach City Council also approved its own state of emergency last night, and the Orange County Board of Supervisors could do the same at its meeting later this morning. As crews work to contain oil from spreading to beaches and wetland Reserves, questions are being raised about the response time and investigation into what caused the spill. Amplify Energy, the company that operates the pipeline that ruptured, has divers inspecting the now patched pipe. The company's CEO says it's focusing on one particular section of the more than 8,000 feet of pipeline that's been examined. Meanwhile, speaking at a news conference yesterday, Orange County Supervisor Katrina Foley said she wants answers about when the spill was first reported. I actually do think that one of the pieces of the investigation needs to be the timing of when there was a report to the company about a potential spill. My office has been informed that that occurred Friday night. Nothing to do with smell, by the way, but having to do with uh, mariners and others reporting that they saw a, a sheen. The Coast Guard is also investigating whether a ship's anchor may have caused the damage that released 126,000 gallons of crude into the Pacific Ocean. And according to the Los Angeles Times, the agency is also looking into possible negligence by Amplify Energy, with company personnel not noticing a drop in pressure in the pipeline that could have allowed crude to flow into the water for hours. Meanwhile, the state Senate Committee on Natural Resources also plans to investigate the spill. Committee Chair State Senator Henry Stern says the lawmakers plan to look into the cause of the spill and who's liable for it and how to make sure it never happens again. As for the spread of the spill, U.S. Coast Guard Captain Rebecca Orr says they're closely monitoring its movement. What we are doing uh, is is flying daily overflights, three or four flights a day, where we are mapping the oil and mapping its direction Uh, looking at models of weather, so tides and currents and wind, uh, so that we can determine the direction. It really is dependent on the prevailing weather conditions, but uh, the oil continues to move in a southerly direction. Many Orange County beaches could be closed for weeks or even months if the oil continues to spread. Let's turn to health and wellness issues. Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill yesterday that aims to address racial health disparities for new moms of color and their babies. KQED health correspondent April Naboski explains what the so-called Momdibus Act will do. 
In California, Black and Native American babies die at a rate more than double the state average. Black moms die at more than three times the state average. State Assemblymember Dr. Akila Weber co-authored the Momnibus Act. So this bill affirms that here in California, these kind of disparities in our maternal and infant outcomes will no longer be tolerated. The new law will expand doula services, cash assistance for new moms, and Medi-Cal coverage. Before, low-income women got kicked off Medi-Cal two months after giving birth. Now, they'll be covered for a full year postpartum. For the California Report, I'm April Domboski. And vapors get ready to pay more. Governor Newsom has approved a 12.5% excise tax on the sale of e-cigarettes. It's a reaction to growing concerns about the health risks of vaping. A higher tax on vaping products will bring it in line with taxes on tobacco products. It's also hoped it will reduce vaping by minors, although they aren't legally allowed to buy e-cigarettes. The new tax comes a year after California banned the sale of flavored tobacco products, which were seen as targeting younger people. And an update on a story we told you about yesterday. Members of IATSE, the union that represents tens of thousands of skilled workers in film and television, have voted overwhelmingly to authorize a strike. That as labor negotiations continue with the association representing producers and the studios. Over 98% of workers from 36 union locals voted for a strike authorization. IATSE says it wants better hours, enhanced rest periods, and improved labor conditions for film and television workers, as well as higher contributions to pension plans. If a strike does happen, it would freeze up film and television productions. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. Water heaters only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. In response to an investigation by California public radio stations into the health risks from wildfire smoke, state and federal lawmakers plan to introduce legislation and hold at least one hearing. Cap Radio's Scott Rod reports. Democratic Assemblywoman Luz Rivas says wildfire smoke is a big concern for residents in her Los Angeles County district. A lot of my constituents are worried about their children and long-term health effects. As chair of the Assembly Natural Resources Committee, she hopes to introduce legislation to bolster protections for students. Fellow Assemblymember Robert Rivas says he wants to expand enforcement of a recently signed law that guarantees agricultural workers access to N95 masks. This is something that is going to require that we monitor closely. We're doing all we can to protect the health and safety of such a vulnerable population of workers. And our investigation got the attention of Congress. Representative Mike Levin is a California Democrat and a member of the House's Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Clearly and overwhelmingly, this problem is getting worse. It's going to become worse still if we don't act immediately. Meanwhile, Representative Ro Khanna, a San Jose Democrat who chairs the House's Oversight Committee on Environment, says he plans to hold a hearing on the impacts of wildfires and widespread smoke. In a statement, Khanna said Congress has no option but to act. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. 
And that is the California Report for Tuesday, October 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. In regional news, as reported by the Sacramento Bee, today in Fresno, Governor Newsom signed a nearly $124 billion legislative package that delivers record-level investments in public schools and promises universal pre-K and seed money for college saving accounts for millions of students. The package has been in the works in the state's budget plan since May. It will give public schools the highest level of state school funding in California history. About $2.7 billion will help create a universal pre-K program for four-year-olds by 2025, including building and renovating existing state preschool, transitional kindergarten, and kindergarten facilities. The phased-in approach will begin next year. California ranks 15th in the nation for access to preschool for four-year-olds, according to the National Institute for Early Education Research. Only 37% of California four-year-olds, that's about 182,000 kids, were enrolled in a preschool program in the previous school year, according to a report by the Institute. Vermont, Wisconsin, and Florida all enroll more than 70% of their four-year-olds into such a program. According to an article submitted to the Union newspaper in Grass Valley, the 15th annual Empty Bowl Benefit for Hospitality House returned to form in September with a new restaurant-hosted format that raised almost $30,000. The money will allow Hospitality House to help people experiencing homelessness receive shelter, food, case management, housing aid, medical respite, and other services. Local artists, as they do year after year, created and donated hundreds of bowls to the event, according to the article. Seven restaurants were all featured hosts. They include Sopa Thai, Toffinelli's, Lola, Golden Gate Saloon, Food and Juice, Heartwood, and Three Forks Bakery. Hundreds of locals patronized the event. Ashley Quadros, development director and event planner at Hospitality House, said in the article, With a major shift in our event format to increase safety, we didn't know what to expect in terms of interest or involvement, but our community came through in droves, as it always does. In the weather for our region, a cooling trend this week, with high temperatures falling by about 15 degrees by Friday. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, a few clouds and a low of 58 degrees. On Wednesday, partly cloudy in the morning and growing cloudier in the afternoon, with a high of 68 and a low of 55. The air quality in Grass Valley this afternoon was good, with an air quality index of 37. Wednesday's air quality in Grass Valley also is forecast to be good, with an expected AQI of 24. In Truckee tonight, partly cloudy with a low of 40. Wednesday in Truckee, partly cloudy in the morning and overcast in the afternoon with a high of 59, a low of 38, and a possible stray shower or thunderstorm. The air quality this afternoon in Truckee was moderate with an air quality index of 74. Wednesday's air quality is forecast to be good with an expected AQI of 29. In Sacramento, mostly cloudy tonight with a low of 56. Wednesday in Sacramento, overcast with a high in the mid-70s and a low of 53. Sacramento's air quality this afternoon was good with an AQI of 30. Wednesday's air quality is forecast to be good 
with an AQI of 15. Paul Emery and economist Gary Zimmerman examined the latest GDP data and the catastrophic ramifications should the U.S. Treasury default on its debts. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Well, I'm speaking with KVMR's financial guy, Gary Zimmerman. And Gary, there's a lot of news about the economy this week, and some of it seems pretty scary. Let's start with the big picture, the latest data on GDP or gross domestic product. What were the latest numbers? Uh, What are they telling us about the performance of the overall economy? Hi, Paul. It's good to be here on KVMR. The latest numbers for real, and that means inflation-adjusted gross domestic product or GDP that were released last week showed the economy growing fast at about a 6.7% annual rate during the three months from April to June. Um, so that's, you know, that 6.7% after subtracting out inflation is, is more than three times faster than the normal growth rate for the economy, which is, you know, by most estimates, probably just under 2% at an annual rate. You know, of course, the reason for that such rapid growth right now is that the economy is still rebounding from the short but very deep pandemic recession in 2020. And it's, you know, it's important to know that it still has a way to go, a ways to go to fully recover. Gary, did the economy continue to grow as rapidly in what's now been completed, the third quarter that just ended in September? Or did the recent rapid spread of the Delta variant of COVID-19 slow down the economy? Most of the recent forecasts I've seen suggest the annual growth rate for the economy slowed noticeably in the three months from July to September as a result of the resurgence in COVID cases. Uh, COVID affected many businesses, consumer spending, slowed retail sales, and worsened things like supply chain delays and shortages. So the recent forecasts for the third quarter um, you know, are much lower there in the two, three, maybe four percent range compared to, you know, a couple months ago, they were looking for, you know, five percent growth in this in the third quarter. Um, you know, there's still so it looks like the third quarter will still be a little faster than the average growth rate, but far below the 6.7 percent growth rate in the second quarter. Uh, we'll, we'll know more on October 28th when the published data for the first estimates of GDP are published for this third quarter. Well, Gary, um, here's another direction here. Um, what are some of the things that could go wrong if the national debt ceiling isn't raised and the U.S. Treasury has to start defaulting on their national debts? I mean, I guess you could you could um, compare that to what would happen to me if I quit paying my bills, <laughs> right? That's kind of it. Yeah, I would I would say in both cases, nothing good will happen. Uh, this is a dangerous situation. Um, I think, as Janet Yellen was trying to point out uh, recent last week, uh, this is a, a necessary and potentially catastrophic disaster. Um, you know, with ramifications that you know, failure to raise the debt ceiling would lead to you know, global financial and 
economic disaster. So, you know, for starters, the default on the debt is, you know, bad for everyone, if you, me, or or a national government with $28 trillion in total debt. You know, about $23 trillion of that debt is held by the U.S. public, by financial institutions, by foreign investors and governments, and they all want to be repaid when they're, you know, bonds or treasury bills come due and uh, mature. You know, so for perspective, I think the first the level of U.S. national debt is not out of line with other nations and, and with the size of the U.S. economy, about $22 trillion a year. Um, you know, this is a political crisis. The U.S. Treasury debt is, you know, was considered risk-free uh, before this, you know, Speculation about a default uh, on the national debt come, became, you know, headline news. You know, the Treasury could borrow at the lowest interest rates in the market. Um, you know, and in, in past financial crises, investors moved their money to safe U.S. Treasury debt uh, because the U.S. had never defaulted. So if the U.S. defaults, you know, money moves offshore out of the U.S. financial system and the economy, and that's just, you know, bad news. Very bad news. Okay, Gary. So what happens? after a default. What happens after a default? Now, can I say this on the radio? I think all hell breaks loose. Um, we have a huge increase in the cost of borrowing for the U.S. Treasury. Uh, that could go on for years. Uh, we're already seeing interest rates rise for, you know, as risks increase, and that, that's going to be shared by everyone. There's lots of rates that are priced off of those Treasury uh, debt, uh, debts. Um, and, you know, the question is whether, you know, the Congress has already spent the money, and now the and after a default, the U.S. Not, may not even be able to borrow. Um, you know, U.S. Treasury debt, because it was risk-free, was used as collateral for loans and debt instruments and financial instruments around the world. Um, the dollar has been the international reserve currency for decades. Um, that's a major advantage for the U.S., and the world will dump dollars and look somewhere else for reserve currencies. Um, so the value of the U.S. dollar in foreign exchange will fall, making imports more expensive. Um, I think Treasury Secretary Yellen noted that, you know, up to 50 million Social Security recipients could, you know, have late or delayed payments. Um, that's going to be, a, you know, a hit to spending. So, you know, that, you know, that that's a, a pretty long list already, and I'm probably missing more shocks to the U.S. and global financial system that will hurt all economies. So, Paul, this is just a huge risk, and I agree completely with Janet Yellen. This is an avoidable risk to the financial system and the economy and needs to be resolved soon. Well, Gary, I think your uh, term, all hell breaks loose, is very appropriate in this situation. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. Amid all the talk in the air about the U.S. debt limit, Mark Cunaberti nearly breaks his calculator doing the math on the national deficit and asks what and when will be the last straw.
Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunenberti. How much the U.S. government owes is called the national debt, and to no one's surprise, it grows larger by the day. Actually, by the second. For a sobering look at just how fast and how much we owe, check out the website usdebtclock.org. Our debt is about to hit $29 trillion. This is what we spend and are spending that we do not take in from taxes and other revenue sources. That stunning figure does not include our unfunded liabilities, which are debts which we are on the hook for but are not yet due. Think of an end-of-the-month payment and it's only mid-month. Unfunded liabilities can only be estimated, and by estimation they stand at $157 trillion. That by the same website, U.S. Debt Clock. Other figures tossed about double that. Like I said, it depends on how one figures it. Took about 200 years for the U.S. to amass its first trillion in debt. Now we borrow that much every year. That is the power of compounding. It can help you in saving money, but bite you in the you-know-where if you are on the borrowing end. Just how much is a trillion? Measured in time, a thousand seconds is about 17 minutes. Sit down for a million seconds and you can resume standing in about 11 days. Repeat the same exercise for a trillion seconds and you wouldn't be there anymore and, well, probably neither would anything else. A trillion seconds ticks off in about 31,688 years. Imagine that. Well, actually, I can't. But the overspenders can. Or maybe they can't. Maybe if they could, they wouldn't spend so much. Think again. The current spending figures for the COVID bailout is about $3.5 trillion. Measured at a dollar a day, that stands at about 110,900 years. Whoa. This does not include another $1.6 trillion on the negotiating table currently in Washington. Do we want that spending bill to pass? Guess it matters of whether it's a matter of opinion, right? And no, I'm not giving mine. Considering the amounts, we can assume it is a foregone conclusion. The U.S. will never pay off its debt. With $29 trillion on the hook, it's literally impossible. Too bad for those creditors, which, by the way, includes you and I. Reminding everyone again about those additional unfunded liabilities, which is that $157 trillion we spoke about in years that amounts to E. Well, also known as error, as my calculator says that when I attempt to arrive at an answer. I'm not real good at carrying zeros, so hence the reason I list an E as an answer. Whatever my calculator says, it should say N for never. With a number so large, does it really matter how much we owe? In the words of former Vice President Dick Cheney, deficits don't matter. My opinion is that deficits don't matter until they do. If deficits don't matter, why have deficits brought down countless countries to their knees at the moment they did matter? Better said, deficits don't matter until they are large enough, then they will. Question then becomes how large can the U.S. deficit become before it matters? No one knows. What we do know is that moment will arrive eventually. It approaches nearer and nearer with every dollar we spend. What will happen when the it matters moment arrives? We have countless examples through history to look at. Inflation gradually accelerates long before the moment arrives. Rapidly accelerating inflation will be the next canary in the coal mine. Next will follow rising interest rates. First purposely raised by the Federal Reserve, then they will rise on their own uncontrollably. The public bond market will start to convulse and bond auctions, where public debt is sold, will begin to fail. This occurs because interest rates are rising so fast, debt buyers will not commit funds to a fixed interest rate because rates are rising too fast. The final straw will be the lack of confidence in the currency in question, and then basically all hell breaks loose. When the currency has its Mexican peso moment, you can imagine how life will be. Usually governments will then attempt to make a new currency, or get bailed out from somebody. In the case of the U.S., the question becomes, 
Is any one entity big enough to bail out the largest economy on the planet? Let's not go there, shall we? That's it for today's Money Matters. The views expressed are my opinions only and do not reflect those of this radio station, its staff, members, or underwriters, and is not meant as investment advice. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California insurance license OLP4249, and I'm a Medicare agent approved in the state of California. My name is Mark Kuniburi. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, an all-new edition of Educationally Speaking. Host Scott W. Lay talks with Michael Martin and Robert Pegg to get the scoop on all the news from Yuba River Charter School. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. If you missed any stories or you just want to hear them again, visit the website kvmr.org or listen to the KVMR News wherever you get your podcasts. Have a wonderful evening.